Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Well, you can't discount someone's life because it doesn't match yours. You know, prior to this, I was sad most of the time with moments of happiness, but now I'm happy most of the time with moments of sadness. So I think we should live our lives that way. There's a little sneak peek from today's interview. You do not want to miss her story. Plus, it's all about the attitude. Coming up next, thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so very kindly for hanging out, spending a little time here with me today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Thank you so very much for being a part of this worldwide community, this global community of listeners, the Zero to Travel Caravan, always blowing my mind week in and week out. And thank you to everybody that's taken the time to listen and also to drop me a line, I got a email today from Kara. So I got to give her a shout out. This is an incredible story that dovetails into what I want to talk about in a second, which is attitude and how your attitude defines your action and what you do when it comes to travel or life. And Kara exemplifies this. She says, Hey, Jason, my name is Kara. I've been listening to your podcast for some time now, although I feel that I have traveled a lot in my short life. My story takes a crazy turn. Just recently, two weeks before I was supposed to get married, my fiance canceled the wedding. Ouch. We were together for six years and engaged for one. And although at first I was shocked and obviously devastated, I am picking myself up by my bootstraps and being productive and giving myself the gift of adventure. My whole world was turned upside down. When he called off the wedding, I had moved to Florida for him and we had just moved into a new apartment. When he called it off, I got the first flight out of Tampa and flew back home to my hometown of Cincinnati. I ended up finding a way to live rent-free and save money for a year. And I am so excited and happy to say that I just booked my first workaway trip to Nepal in October. I will be solo traveling for the first time ever and I'm really nervous, but at the same time, 
I could not be more ready, and I just really had to share this with you. You and your podcast inspire me daily, and I just hope to be able to live a more inspiring life myself with love, Kara. Kara, love right back at you. This email is giving me the chills right now. Literally, I'm getting the chills up my spine because I'm so happy for Kara that she turned, I guess you could use the old cliche, she took lemons and turned them into lemonade. And there's something to be said about cliches. They're there for a reason. And it is all about your attitude. You know, she could have taken any which way with that whole situation. She could have, I don't know, felt beat down and got depressed and spent the last year, you know, just living in a dark room and <laughs> going to work and not seeing anybody. Instead, she picked herself up by her bootstraps made the effort to save money for a year, and now she's booking this trip to Nepal and totally just embracing the change, taking initiative to recreate a life for herself, one that includes travel, something she obviously loves. And it is really all about the attitude when you think about it, right? There's all these things externally that happen to us or can happen to us or do happen to us because it's life. You know, our roommate bails on us or... The stock market crashes and we lose money or uh, your bicycle gets stolen. I mean, I don't know. There are things happening all the time, right? And we can use those things to make excuses or we can go inside. We can allow those external things to happen, but know that we create our own lives internally. We make things happen on the inside and all of this external things will occur, but it's really about how we react to them and what we do internally, what we decide. And we have that power. And that is empowering when you think about it because we can take whatever situation we're given and do something with it. So what you want, what you, what you, what you want. The Beastie Boys said it best. If there's something that, uh, that you want, uh, just remember that. You know, it's, a, it's an internal situation. Everything else is external. We have that power inside of us to do that. And I love, uh, I love, uh, I say these things because I need to remind myself of these things as well. You know, these little stories I share from the community are so inspiring to me. And that's why I think they'll be inspiring to you as well. And there's always a little lesson to be learned. And I am constantly trying to improve myself and giving myself reminders. So when I share this stuff, it's for me and you (laughs) to keep reminding myself, okay, let me let me remember when things happen, not get too caught up in it, and remember that there's that internal power that we all have to not let external situations that could be deemed negative affect us and just to continue to create our own destinies. It's an awesome thing. And my guest today has done just that. She defines defiance, standing up to what could have been a whole lot of excuses not to travel, and instead creating a life of travel for herself. This story is incredible. Please enjoy this interview. And before we get into it, don't forget, if you haven't signed up over at zerototravel.com, you're missing out, my friend, because I have plenty of content coming to you off of the podcast, things that you cannot get here on the podcast. Keep in touch online. Sign up for the newsletter. Would love to have a chat with you there. And you can do it right now. If you keep forgetting, just hit pause, go to zerototravel.com and sign up. Would absolutely love to keep in touch with you. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, 
just hit me up, my email, jason at zerototravel.com. You can share your story, your struggles, your advice or tips or whatever for this community. Anything, just drop me a line. would love to hear from you. Okay, let's slip and slide into this interview. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. I cannot wait to chat with my guest today because I was so inspired when I heard her story and I know you will be too. Back in 2013, she took her puppy Fiji and her violin on a bicycle tour across the United States with less than $50 in her pocket. Prior to the trip, she had never camped before, not even for one night, and had zero, yes, zero long-distance cycling experience. She was, in her words, quote, a chubby city girl trying to regain self-confidence and recapture the person she thought she'd lost. The trip took six months. While on the road, she regained a renewed faith in humanity while experiencing profound acts of kindness from strangers. She says the trip reshaped both her body and mind. She's here to talk about that adventure and her latest two-wheel tour with her four-legged friend. You can learn more about her travels at fijapaw.com. That's F-I-J-A-P-A-W, fijapaw.com. Jasmine, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, So much to talk about today. And this is really true zero to travel fashion because uh, like I said in the intro there, when you took that first bike tour, you really didn't have any experience. Um, Are you from California? Is that where you grew up? Uh, Yep. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. And um, when I left on my first trip, I was living in Columbia, Missouri. I kind of hit had gone from uh, California to New York for school, and then I transferred to another school in Columbia, Missouri. So that's kind of where how I ended up in Missouri. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So, because LA is a pretty big town, and I yeah. mean, there's all sorts of type. What do you think about Los Angeles? Because I'm, I'm always conflicted on Los Angeles. <laughs> you grew up there, so I want to hear it from a native. Yeah, well, it's funny because my opinion of Los Angeles has changed as I've gone other places. When I was there, I mean, of course, I loved it. That was all I knew. It was home. And uh, there's so much to do. There's always something to do. Of course, it has its issues, pollution, you know, smog. And I I don't think I ever really saw stars <laughs> when I was because I was like right in I was what was it? 159th Street. So I was right in Los Angeles. So I didn't really see stars at night and um, because of all the smog. And of course, uh trying to find a reasonable rent, <laughs> a rent, a place to rent or a place to live is also um, hard. But there's there's also charms and, and beauties about California and, and Los Angeles in, you know, more specifically. Um, but when I left uh, Los Angeles and moved to New York, upstate New York, um, and saw the stars for the first time and experienced my first snow, I mean, true, I never... I never went camping or anything like that. So I stayed in Los Angeles. I didn't go up to Big Bear or anything like that. Those places where they have snow in California. So it was really my first time seeing snow when I went to New York and, um, and seeing how many, just how many stars there are in the sky and, and just meeting different people from different backgrounds, different cultures. I mean, you meet that in California too, but when you're living in a central area, you kind of all adopt 
the, uh, a, a certain culture from living in that area. But then you go to New York and you realize New Yorkers are a little bit different and they think a little bit differently. And then you go to Boston or, or Massachusetts and you realize people from different parts of Massachusetts think a, li- a little differently. And so, so kind of, you know, getting out of Los Angeles and realizing that, that there's all these different people and different ways of thinking and different lifestyles throughout this, just our country alone, just the United States alone was, uh, was interesting. And so when I finally visited Los Angeles again, I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't think I can take the crowded, <laughs> you know, it's just too, <laughs> it's too crowded. And then, and then I started actually saying, I mean, who pays $2,000 a month for a one bedroom <laughs> apartment, <laughs> you know, because I was living in the Midwest in Missouri, Missouri at that point for a little while. And you could find a one bedroom apartment for $485 a month. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's Los Angeles <laughs> residents that pay that. Two thousand yeah, dollars, right? Yeah, it's like, oh my goodness, who pays that you know amount of money? And so my friends who still live there, they're like, uh, yeah, we pay expensive rent, but you get so much with Los Angeles. You get, and I, I, I will give them that. You do, you know, if you are paying lower rent, maybe you're living in an area that doesn't have as many. In, as much entertainment and things like that, you have to kind of find your entertainment. In Los Angeles, you definitely get the perk of having so much bustling stuff going on around you. But but I tend to prefer now the quiet <laughs> areas where you have to be creative and find things to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you. Um, it sounds like you know you had the Hollywood stars, but you're like, forget that. I want to see the actual stars. <laughs> I'm going to move to upstate New York and see what's going that was on good. here. I like that. I see what you did. <laughs> did that move? Was that the thing that got you? into the idea of travel? Like, where did that come from? Because what I want to ask you if travel was part of your childhood at all, or was it part of that culture in LA that you talked about? No, I grew up in a, a single parent household. And so my mom, she was struggling all the time and, and, and trying to put food on the table and things like that. So we, we never bought a home we rented. And so we moved around a lot within Los Angeles. Um, but we never, never went on vacation or out of the country. I, I I had never been out of the country until Canada last year, which, you know, people say that doesn't count because we're so close as neighbors, but it felt like a different country. It felt like, oh my goodness, I've, I've gone to Canada and I've finally gone outside of the United States. So it was a big deal for me, I, you know, but my first really big trip on my own was from California to New York on a train to go to college. Okay. You took the train. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was afraid of the plane. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so I said, what's another way I can go? And I found a $150 one-way ticket on Amtrak to, to New York. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that was my first trip. And I, I will say when I was on the train, I did start asking myself, oh, my gosh, I love to travel like this. I liked it. I liked was that, that like moment. an instant thing? Like it hit you right then? You're like, oh, my God, this is like... This, well, is a, this is a feeling like, or was yeah. there some kind of inspiration before that, that was like, that? no, 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 it was no, right then. Was, yeah, it was pretty much right then. I wow. think, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I wasn't very normal. I didn't cry. Like my mom was crying as she put me on the train and I, I did miss her. And I felt like, I felt like, oh, okay, I'm going to miss her. But as soon as I got on the train, I kind of just like, you know, I was looking forward. I was looking ahead, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to New York. I wasn't thinking about what I was leaving behind and things like that. I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going on to new beginnings. Think about and the adventure ahead. Ex- exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, you know, and, and I think that definitely speaks volumes about how, or, you know, volumes about how I um, 
how I think today as a nomad, um, because that probably was, you know, a preface to, to those feelings because I was just thinking ahead and, and trying to move forward at that time. But as I, I think the feeling became stronger as I was going through the, those tunnels or as the train was going through those tunnels in New Mexico. And as we were going through, um, some of the like Texas and things like that. And I was starting to see all these sceneries. This sort of leads to this quote that you had when, when you said, you know, you were, you were trying to regain self-confidence to recapture the person you thought you'd lost. I guess that this is who was that person that you lost? How did you know she was lost? And why did you feel that way? Well, because I gave up at some point. So, I mean, I was a perfectionist, not, without a doubt. Everything I wanted to do, I wanted to do it perfectly. And um, even even amidst everything that was going on, I wanted to be, I, wa- I had goals and I had things that I had to prove to myself and to other people. And violin was a big one of those things. Um, I was, I, I my mom, she wanted me to be a doctor or in, and just my family in general. My family has had women in our family who have been single parents and things like that. And my mom wanted me to not go down that same, that same life, life path. She wanted me to, to get a prestigious career and things like that. And, and she wasn't forceful by any means. If I told her I wanted to be a violinist, she wouldn't have been upset or anything, but I put this goal upon myself to, to do that for her. I wanted to, to accomplish this goal to get a prestigious career and, and make her happy. I put that on myself because my mom's not that type of person where she would be upset if I wanted to follow my own path. Even now when I'm bicycling around the world, she's completely supportive, but I was still saying to myself, Oh, I need to do this for my mom. So I was denying myself my true passion, my true love, which is I really wanted to go to music school. The person that I lost was, was actually quite drastic, you know, the high achieving person to now the person who, who doesn't do anything. I was just a big slob in my room, just kind of had given up at that point. (laughs) Really the opposite of, of who you are. And, you know, I think everybody listening to this knows we've all had to deal with times in our life where we we feel stuck or we get depressed and we don't know what to do exactly and it's it's confusing and it's really hard to separate I don't know to like embrace what's underneath all that and like kind of come outside of what you're experiencing in that moment and say hey I got to do something about this and then actually do something about it you know what I mean like how did you how did that process work for you and like was the bike tour like the idea that like brought you out or was it something else before that um okay well I mean a number of things had happened at that point you know at that point I had a dog that I hadn't been planning on having Fiji Fiji was supposed to be my mom's dog but she became my dog so I was trying to get up and exercise and take her on walks and things like that um because you know she's a pup she doesn't know what's going on she she needs exercise regardless of what I'm as a human am going through <laughs> so um yeah but I also had you know within me even though I had given up there was still that little fragment of myself that had that high achieving feeling where I knew I knew I needed to get out of this rut you know I think what uh, happened was I saw my mom's uh, Walmart bicycle in the garage and it didn't, the tires weren't full. So I had to actually put, um, they were flat. So I had to put air in the tires and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start riding back and forth to school as, as a last effort attempt to one, get back to school 
and also while at the same time be losing weight or at least exercising. And as I was riding to school, which I, I actually did keep it up for a few weeks, I was riding back and forth. It was about a seven mile round trip ride. So three miles each way. I was so proud of myself. I loved getting up early and listening to the birds chirp outside and kids and people getting on buses and taking off for work and things like that. It was just so wonderful to hear life again, because it's so different in your room. Right? It's so different in your room. So hearing that sound in the morning, I still couldn't really attach myself to school again. I think at that point, I was completely over school. When, when I got to classes, I was disengaged. I wasn't listening to the teacher. I was just... You were thinking just, about that fun bike ride you just had. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, that's what I lived for. You know, I was like, okay, ride to school. Okay, nothing's happening. And then ride back. This is wonderful. <laughs> school is just the annoying in between time. <laughs> but um, anyway, so the bike ride, uh, there was actually one hill that I had to get over in order to get to school each day. It was called Chapel Hill and it was really steep. And I always had to walk, you know, walk the bike up this hill. And uh, one morning as I was riding to school, it was probably a week or so in, I, I rode up the hill without having to get up and walk. And I think at that moment I said to myself, oh my gosh, okay. I, I think at that moment I thought to myself, so you can still improve. You can still, your body changes, your mind changes. It's not like you're stuck. Things can still progress and things can still happen and you can still achieve and have success and stuff. You know, it's, I think for some reason I felt at that moment in time that I was over some type of hill that I was too old to accomplish my goals, which was silly now that I think about it. You know, I was only 20 four at that time, you know, you're not too old to accomplish anything, even at later ages, like 80 and 90. So who am I to think at 24 that I'm, I'm over some type of hill, but that's where I was. I thought I was done, <laughs> you know, and now I started to think to myself, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how far this can go and how far I can take this. And it just so happened Facebook that I had become addicted to became this, uh, advertisement, I guess, for a new world, because I was on Facebook that evening after that ride. And adventure cycling, an ad for adventure cycling was on Facebook. And I said, Oh, what is this? And so I clicked on it. And they were talking about tours cross country, you know, bicycle tours. And that was the first time I ever heard of people riding bicycles that far and how how long it takes and things like that. So I joined the forums and started asking questions and, um, and decided pretty quickly. I mean, probably that night that that's something that I wanted to do. So even though the idea of cycling across the country alone as a, as a woman with just my dog might have scared my family and, and everybody around me, for me, it was this shining light. It was, it was something I was reaching for that was going to save me from, from a darkness that I had fallen in. And so, so yeah, so um, I started researching uh, how to do that as particularly how to do it with the dog. Um, because I hadn't at that time in 2013, I didn't see many people uh, touring with their dogs. Um, so I only had a couple of examples at that time. And I just kind of researched how they did it. And started sending out sponsorship letters telling people what I was planning to do and and if you know we could try out or advertise their their doggy equipment and I had a um, doggy ride sent me a doggy ride trailer and 
And then Springer America sent me a bike leash attachment for Fiji and to run alongside the bicycle. They also sent a harness and some musher secret wax for her paws to protect her paws from the elements. And, uh, and then, um, my local bicycle shop, I told them what I was doing and they actually put the, uh, bicycle on layaway for me. So I started paying increments. However, um, there was no way I was going to be able to pay it off prior to leaving. So they actually let me take the bicycle prior to it, prior to it actually being paid off. (laughs) It just happened that quickly. By the way, you know, it's really exciting as we're recording this right now, this podcast could be doing the same thing for somebody else you could be that adventure cycling ad for somebody else. So that's cool too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I hope so. You know, because people don't realize that they're capable of doing something until they see that other people have done it. And that's, that's the, that was the case for me. So, yeah. you know. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What was the time frame there between when you made the decision and then like, you know, you actually stepping out the door and hitting the pedals? It was probably, I would say it was six months. I made made the decision in the summer of 2012, really. It was like maybe August 2012, I decided I was going to bicycle across the country. And then um, I started prepping, not so much prepping exercise-wise, but sending out sponsorship letters and things like that and making little videos online um, of me riding with Fiji and things like that. But um, 
but I also wanted to be sure that I was able to get a bicycle that would fit me. You know, I, I was over 200 pounds at that point. And so I was thinking, well, surely those things break, you know, um, especially after such long and extended riding. Is there a particular bicycle that I need other than my Walmart bicycle um, that will carry me <laughs> across the country on these long distance rides? Throughout that ramp up period, did you have moments of weakness where you wavered? You're like, eh, I don't oh, know if this is right. I mean, nope. Can I really? No, never. No, not at all. No, not at all. You were um, committed. I, Oh, I was super committed. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but it was definitely, I didn't know when it was going to happen from July 2012 to, de- to December 2012. But once I set the date May 1st in December, I, it was, there was no wavering. I was pretty committed. And even when my mom was like, Jasmine, you're not going to do this, you know, cause she's like, she, come on, she, you're not really good. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah yes, she, I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, there is, there was one moment too. I, I wasn't where I wavered where, you know, family pressure was even more. It was when the Boston marathon bombings happened, you know, they happened in March of that year. And my mom was just out of her mind. She was like, you know, you're going to leave and, and go as a woman alone around the country with your dog when all these things are happening in the world and the political climate and religious climate, all this stuff is, is so, so intense right now. You're just going to leave. There's bad people in the world, you know, and, and, and I could understand, well, or I, I shouldn't say I can understand because I'm not a mom, I'm not a parent, but so I didn't hold anything against her, but I, I said, mom, this is, this is something I have to do <laughs> is I have to do. Otherwise the, you know, if something, something bad does happen to me, it's no better or worse than what's happening right now here being stuck in this rut. You know, I'm, I'm stuck. I need, I need a way to get out of this, this, uh, this rut. It's, you know, I'm, I'm not living right now, so I need to find a way to live. And if, that means putting myself in some type of situation that maybe is dangerous, which I didn't feel that way at all. I didn't feel it was dangerous because I had done so much research of people who, who had bicycled across country and things like that. And they were fine. But you know, I felt like if that means going out and living, I mean, when you step out of your door each day, you take a risk that you might not come back alive. So, you know, if that means if, if stepping outside of my door means that I might not come back alive, well, Hey, that's life. You know, it's just, it, it happens. And and I need to experience being outside of my room. I need to experience being outside of this house. And this is the way that I found I need to do that. So I got to go. <laughs> I love you. But I got to go. <laughs> yeah. As you were getting close, you said you didn't really have any doubts or fears. You weren't wavering too much. But there must have been some anxieties around some of the things involved. Like you, you mentioned never camping before or like you only had 50 bucks. Was that intentional or did you like just literally only have $50 to your name or was that all you were bringing? Yeah, I was, yeah, I, was I mean, I was working at that time. I worked for uh, Missouri Lions Eye Research Foundation. I was a family uh, family services coordinator where I sp- spoke to families about uh, eye, eye donation. So when they just, when they had lost someone they loved, I would you know, help them t- through the process of, of donating corneas in order to restore someone else's sight, which was a, a very intense job. And I was making um, a nice amount of money, but I was still living paycheck to paycheck. You know, there were bills that I had. Plus, you know, I was helping my mom out because I was living with her at that point. So I didn't really save any money and I wasn't saving any money for this trip. I knew that I was just going to wing it. And so my, I I never wavered. I never had any anxiety. I knew I had a tent. So 
if if I needed to sleep somewhere, I knew I had a tent to sleep in. Um, I didn't. I don't. I think I was very unrealistic at that point about my abilities. And you know, I I was I was so vested in this trip that I just felt like everything was going to work out perfectly. Even if and, you would like, we're only leaving with fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah, I just felt like if I have to dumpster, dumpster dive, you know, I knew that humans were wasteful. If I needed to go to a grocery store and ask them for old food and things like that. Or, and I, I even looked up like, uh, where are all the farms in, in the United States? Or is there a farm that I'll be able to get to and ask for, you know, fruit that they're not selling to the general public or vegetables they're not selling to the general public? I even took a powder, a shake powder, um, <laughs> which is like a meal replacement powder. And I figured if I can't get food, then um, I'll just drink that shake. I, <laughs> I was hardcore ready to struggle. I was ready to be, you know, starving, dehydrated, everything else. And it didn't scare me at all. The only thing that really not so much scared me, but that that I didn't want to go through that same thing was my dog. You know, she she was coming along with me, but she didn't ask for that. So I so I needed to make sure that even if I didn't have food, she always had food. She always had water. So we um, actually had an angel sponsor at that time, um, someone who didn't want to be identified. But they she was like, whenever whenever you feel like you're going to run out of food for Fiji, you call me and she'll, you know, she'll get food. So pet stores were wonderful. I would go into a pet store sometimes and I would tell them what I was doing. I had Fiji next to me and they would just give us a free bag of food. So Fiji never, (laughs) Fiji never wanted for anything, but for me, you know, it was like, I didn't really care what I was going to go through. For me, it was all part of the transformation. This was, this was going to make me a stronger, more hardcore person, a person who could, weather any any challenges in life and if that meant I had to go through extreme situations in order to become that person that I that I was then then so be it so I was actually welcoming any of those possible situations those possible scenarios so that I could be so that I could rise above it and rise like a phoenix I guess and become and become this better person um yeah (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think a lot of these things, no matter how you feel beforehand, there's then the reality of it when you're, you know, half a day in or whatever, and you're pedaling with all the stuff you have with you. And if you've never done it before, you know, there's the first night of camping that you've never done before. And now you're like, walk me through like that first day and like the first night camping. And how, how did you how did you feel or even the first hour? Like, what was it like? Yeah. So, OK, so um I'll, I'll kind of go to the car ride because my mom drove me to New York. Um, reluctantly, she drove me to New York because we were in Columbia, Missouri. So she drove me to New York because I needed to start in New York. That's the only way it could happen is coast to coast. The funny thing is, is it started with like $250, but I had to give my mom gas money for the way up there and then gas money for her to come back. I did not tell her that, that was all that I had to my name because she would not have taken the money otherwise. <laughs> but, you know, I figured I'm recruiting my mom to, to make this drive that she doesn't really want to make up there. The least I can do is pay for gas. <laughs> so by the time all was said and done, I had $50. Um, the good thing is that we stayed with our first Warm Showers host. So warmshowers.org is a website where you can connect with other cyclists who open their homes to touring cyclists. And so um, that night, my mom and I stayed with a a warm showers host in um, uh, New Jersey. I forget where, uh, I think it was, I can't think of the name, but it was right outside of New York City, um, near Rutgers University. And um, 
anyway, so we stayed with this wonderful professor and my mom got her first taste of maybe some of the experiences that I would have on my trip. The next day, our our host um, drove us to the starting point um, with my bicycle and everything. I had never put panniers. I never rode the bicycle loaded. So I didn't have my luggage on the bicycle. I never had put the actual Fiji's trailer. I never had actually attached to the bicycle. Oh, really? Wow. You (laughs) never even tested it out before you left. Yeah, exactly. I just knew how to ride the bike and I knew how to attach (laughs) Fiji to the bike leash attachment, but I didn't know how to put the luggage on. So it was a mystery. (laughs) Yeah. So, so the professor, yeah. So the professor and my mom and I are all struggling with having to put the panniers on and put the trailer on. And then we put the rain cover over the trailer because it was actually pouring rain at that point. (laughs) And so I was starting my first day without ever having rode a loaded bicycle in pouring rain. (laughs) Now, what, what prompted that? Like, were you, were you just like, you know what? I'm like, so into this idea. I just want to like live in ignorant bliss until like (laughs) I actually get there and like figure it out. I mean, I, cause I love that you just you got there and just did it like right there. That's, that is so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it was, um, it was because, you know, I got a lot of the stuff for free. So I I was on their timeframe whenever they sent it to me. So some of the stuff I didn't even get until last minute. And then, um, and then for, then when I did get it, I was, I was dealing with other things. It just happened that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fiji a month beforehand had a tumor. She got cancer. Oh no. And so the local vet had to deal with we had to deal with that. And so two weeks after she had healed, um I had to first of all work up her muscles again, but then also um she wasn't getting inside of the trailer. So I hadn't attached the trailer to the bike, but I was working with her on getting in the trailer in the garage and she would not do it. I would throw burgers in that trailer and she would not go in the trailer so so then this uh trainer this dog dog trainer her burger's not gonna do it i mean what (laughs) yeah she's not she's not gonna go in there jeez i would get in the trailer for a burger (laughs) so so this uh dog trainer heard about what we were trying to accomplish and he actually came out to the house for free and and uh, got fiji in the trailer and i mean just on command it was perfect so i got that done and um, and we were kind of delayed because she was healing and trying to get her acclimated to the trailer. And I left May 8th as opposed to May 1st. So I was just a few days or a week delayed. And um, yeah, so when we when we got there, it was just pretty much it wasn't that I didn't want to practice with that stuff. I just didn't receive it all at the same time, you know, and then Fiji dealt with her with her, you know, illness and things like that. So and thankfully, she's been <laughs> cancer free now for okay. four or five years. So all <laughs> so, right. Uh, so back yeah. to the rain, you're pedaling, yeah. you're weighted down with all the panniers and all the stuff you oh, have yeah. and you're in the rain and it's like, what is it? The first hour or two? <laughs> like what's going through your yeah. head? So I put on <laughs> this, um, this rain poncho. I had a purple poncho on and it started to bleed into the street. So I had to take that off and throw it away. Fiji was in the back trailer and she had this rain cover over this trailer and something told me to check on her. So I checked on her and she had panted so much that it created like a heater inside the trailer. So I I took that rain cover and I said, you know what? We're just getting wet because it's not working. So I threw the rain, the, the plastic cover away and then it decided to pour rain even harder. And my legs were burning at this point. I, I couldn't believe how hard it was to pedal with all the stuff. on the, And, you know, I didn't even know about gears. Like my Kona Sutra had different gearing than my Walmart bicycle did. So, so I didn't even know how to change the gears 
in order to make pedaling easier for me. So I think I was in a high gear at that point where it was actually making it harder for me on top of the weight that I was carrying. So yeah, so it was, but you know what? I had a smile on my face the whole time. Really? And actually, <laughs> yeah, I actually called my mom and uh, it, was, it was probably like two hours in and uh, my mom had been waiting by the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> she hadn't actually gotten back on the road yet. And she's like, you want to come home? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm great. <laughs> and so, so that first day I actually did only five miles and I got to a church and I was going to camp at the church and I was going to ask for permission. So I went into the church and I, I asked the, the woman sitting at the front desk and she said, oh, you need to talk to the pastor. And so I was walking over to the pastor's, I guess, area or home or whatever it, through the parking lot of the church. And there was this woman packing her van and she saw me. And, and of course, we kind of look like a circus at because we had the trailer, the dog and all the, the luggage and everything else. So she was intrigued and said, what are you doing? And I told her I had just started bicycling across the country. And um, after five minutes, I was being invited back to her house for a warm meal and, uh, you know, a place to stay for the night. And she also wanted me to volunteer for the food pantry that night in exchange for me staying in her house. And, and so that's what I did that first night. And every night after that, I kid you not, I had a place to stay with some stranger. And and it wasn't even warmshowers.org. I did stay with some host through warmshowers.org, but I would say 65% of the time, it was just people I met on the street who invited me back to their home with my dog and everything. And the only nights I had to camp were three nights. And that was because I was on a nature trail and there were no homes or people around. So yeah, so out of the whole six months, I camped three nights. And that's, I mean, do you think that's because people get to chatting with you? They're just inspired by what you're doing and they want to help out. I mean, be a part of it. Yeah, I you think know. people, yeah, I think people are, are friendly and yeah. And it does take a lot for people to, you know, invite someone to their house. So you do have to have a conversation with them and, and if they, they see you or feel like you're a person that they feel comfortable with. And yeah, the people will do stuff like that. You know, you before though, I didn't know that, you know, I, I never imagined inviting a stranger into my home, you know? So, so this idea of strangers inviting me into their home, whatever the reason was, was like, wow, humans are actually kind of nice. (laughs) 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 And people were actually kind of nice, you know? And, um, and it happened so much that I just, I, like I said, you know, I restored my faith in humanity and, and it brought me out of my shell because I was interacting with people on a daily basis. I no longer had the option of being isolated. Um, you know, I I met these wonderful, fascinating people who started to break little pieces off of, of this hardening shell that had surrounded me, you know? So, um, so that, that was wonderful. Can you share another story uh, along those lines where, you know, somebody that was a stranger surprised you with their generosity? Um, well, on the first, I mean, it's happened so many times, but mm. I think on the first trip, there's one I can remember in particular. I stayed with a woman named Julia in Ridgeway, Colorado. I, pulled I love into- that town. Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Gorgeous. And I pulled into town. It was um, their season, the season when the fall colors are coming in. So all of the motels and hotels were sold out. And I really didn't have any place to stay. And I didn't know where I was going to camp. So I was just kind of sitting outside. And Julia was this woman. She was in her 80s, but she's spunky and, you know, just full of energy, full of life. 
And we started talking and she didn't offer a place to stay automatically. She went in and bought some food first and then she came back out and she said, you know what? You're coming. You're staying with me. <laughs> so she had her friends put put in um, put my bicycle and everything into their truck. And then I rode with her and Fiji um, to her home and her home actually. Well, where we were going um went up this mountain and we just kept going and then suddenly things became more secluded and I was like okay where is she taking me (laughs) and then finally we turned down this driveway and it was just woods at first and then all of a sudden we came up to this gorgeous gorgeous house I mean just a huge huge home and this this woman lived in the mountains in this huge home all by herself and to trust a stranger to stay with her someone she just met where in, in a place that's so secluded, you know, and so to give us free reign of her home and, and she didn't even really like dogs that much. <laughs> and she let Fiji come in the house and, and jump on the couch. I was like, Fiji, get off the couch. She was like, no, no, let her on the couch. You know, I just thought, you know, for someone to, to, to be so trusting and so amazing in that way, that was, a, that wasn't the first time, but that was a one of many times where I was like, wow, that's, that just warms your heart when people, you know, want to be that kind towards you that they trust you with that sort of thing. So, so yeah, and that was Julia. And then on this trip uh, across, not so much the United States, but I did Indianapolis to Austin, Texas, and then I hitchhiked up to Canada to start my cross Canada trip. But <laughs> okay, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I did Indianapolis to Austin, Texas first, and, and while I was in Tennessee. No, I had just crossed into Arkansas. Um, I actually uh, had suffered a saddle sore that had become infected and I was in a motel in excruciating pain and I called a warm showers host for a rescue to come and take me out of the motel because I couldn't afford more than a night. And so I asked him if he could come pick me up and I could stay with him for, a, you know, some time where I could heal up. And um, he came and, you know, you judge people sometimes by their outer appearance. And and Ben, Zen Ben is what what I call him. He had an appearance of a hunter and he had a shaved head and he had this deep southern accent. And, you know, as a, as a young African-American woman, I made some false assumptions about who he was going to be. But he turned out, well, actually, on the ride to his house, he the way he spoke and he was so friendly and kind and he came to pick me up. And I said, oh, OK, this this man, he's he's completely not what I was thinking he was going to be from a stereotypical standpoint. So I need to check myself. I need to check myself at the door because I'm being horrible in my assumptions about him. Well, when we got to his house, to his place, we pulled into this drive driveway and there was this really nice house right in the front. And I said, oh, that's a nice house. And he says, oh, that's not my house. So we went further down the the driveway and we came up to this shipping container, just a truck, you know, on the like on the, the ship, the cargo ship. Yeah. Yep. It was a shipping container. And he said, oh, this is my house. And I said, oh, and so I looked at. I looked at his, uh, you know, his home and, uh, and, and it was kind of in disrepair on the outside. So I, you know, I started to think many things in my head. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, of course, so you have to be cautious and you know, yeah. you just don't know. <laughs> yeah. You just don't know. You know, we have, we have prejudice and fear for a reason. It's not always bad. Sometimes it's based off of things we hear in the media 
and and it and it serves as a way to protect us and to set off alarms in our body and in our mind but at the same time sometimes you're you're completely wrong so we got out of the car Fiji met his dog and then I walked inside of his shipping container and it was absolutely gorgeous inside he had hand carved all the walls and all the furniture and he had this little kitchenette area and a music area and I mean he was completely different from the person that I had pegged him to be based on outer appearances and so that was a teaching moment for me it was a lesson that I learned that one people just because someone looks some way on the outside doesn't mean they're going to be that way on the inside and sometimes even no matter how foreboding a situation looks or how 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 interesting a situation looks it's going it's not going to always be horrible <laughs> yeah yeah but i'm sure your heart was racing at certain points you're like oh what am i getting into you know and like i guess if you travel the way you do i mean you have to think of ways to get out of the situation yeah i mean so things I, are things are yeah. going to happen even if you think they're just you just even if they're just in your head you know what i mean yeah. you're still going to yeah, exactly. have moments of uh anxiety or you're you're just not sure and um it's amazing what you've done. So the second trip, well, first I want to get back to the first trip. So the, the $50, were you, did that make it? Did you make it on $50 for the whole six months or did you work or how did that <laughs> yes. work? Yeah. The first trip I actually, I did. So I did some bartering. Um, I also did some sponsorships. Like for example, the pet shops, they would give us food in exchange for me to mention like on social media or something like that. I also had a couple of motels that did the same thing where they would let us stay in the motel in exchange for mention or something like that on our social media. However, um, just staying with people every night, there were a couple of times that I had to, I didn't have food for myself. So I had to dip into my shake mill replacement powder and things like that. Um, but I also, uh, did raise a little bit of money for myself via GoFundMe, which at that point, you know, it was so new for me that I didn't really realize the implications of, you know, GoFundMe. I think I raised about $1,500. So I didn't really, it was, it still wasn't that big of an, of an amount. And it wasn't all at one time. It was like someone would send $20 here and it was like, oh, thank goodness, $20 came through on my GoFundMe. So that was just at the right moment because I was about to starve, you know? <laughs> so, um, so every once in a while I'd get some money in. And over the course of that full trip, I got a total of $1,500 off of GoFundMe. But once again, that wasn't really enough to sustain a person for six months. So um, really how I survived that whole trip was bartering um, just kind people who invited me into their home. And when I stayed in their home, they would cook and I would eat dinner with their families. Um, or I had my meal replacement shake and I had to, you know, filter my water and things like that. Um, and, and then, of course, I had my tent for the three nights that I had to camp. But other than that, I also worked in a bed and breakfast for three weeks in Coolidge, Kansas. <laughs> and uh and uh, was able to pay for my lodging and things like that there. So, so yeah, it was it was a it, it was just a combination of of just finding ways and being resourceful and how I survived. So yeah, wow. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it must be so empowering to know like adventures just right out your door, and and you don't really need that much to have one. Is that is that kind of how it is for you now? Like now that you've gone through these things and had these types of adventures. I've learned so much. Yes. I mean, that that pretty much wraps it up. But I think what I've also learned is that 
it's not about the destination. It's not where you begin. It's the journey that takes place in, in between. And that, that kind of reflects on to life in general. For me now, it's not about what I accomplish or what I do in life. It's about what I did to get to those moments. And, and that's what's most important. So about experiencing life today and not always being so invested in what's going to happen tomorrow. And, um, and I think that's so important for everyone because I think we all get so caught up in, Oh, what, you know, where am I going to be five years from now? Or I didn't accomplish this goal by this time. So life must be, you know, just meaningless now. I think we all do that to some extent. And, and we, we begin to forget, well, what happened in the meantime? You know, what, what, what took place for you to get to this moment, even if it didn't quite work out the way you wanted it, what, what were some of the positives that you enjoyed about the journey that it took to get to this moment? So I've, I've learned that a lot on this trip on, on just these journeys in in general, because if I, if I looked toward, toward, you know, or look forward to the end only, um, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't have meant much. When I got to California after I bicycled from New York to California, it was not anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It was not that big of a deal. There was no party van waiting for me or people saying, "Yeah, you made it." You know, I was alone inside a motel in San Diego and worrying about, okay, what am I going to do next? That that was the end. that was the end of my trip. So if I had just been so focused on that, I, it would have been completely lackluster. So, so um. So yeah, so it was about what happened in between that that made life so amazing and so cha- life changing for me, and um and that that's what that taught me. <laughs> yeah, throughout sharing your story, I mean, you mentioned a bunch of uh, practical tips for saving money, and you know you mentioned like some of the things you did with the farms and the trading and the bartering. You've done a combination, of a lot of things, which I love because that's what zero to travel is all about. I mean, it's like kind of working with all of these things you have available and making it happen and. Uh, uh, did we miss anything? I mean, were there any other tips you wanted to share? I guess. Um. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I I don't I don't use uh, GoFundMe or anything like that anymore. Now I try to. Now I'm trying to work on you know, how can I make money through YouTube and share my story and things like that. You know, anywhere I can get little pennies, uh, some change. That's what I do, and I'm I'm more so now into this bartering culture, and 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 working along the way, odd jobs and things like that. And, um, so getting odd jobs, house cleaning, house sitting, pet sitting, uh, there's so many things you can do. There's work away where you can actually, um, work in exchange for room and board and food in someone's house, um, doing multiple jobs. I mean, whether you're working on a vineyard or on a farm or you're house cleaning or babysitting, there's so many ways to offer people something in return for what you need yourself. And I've actually taken that now on this trip uh, for violin. You know, I didn't get to go to music school, but I've turned the road into a music school for myself. So now I barter for lessons on the road. I meet fabulous musicians who, even though they're way above my skill level, have invited me into their group and allowed me to learn for them in exchange for, you know, whatever they need at that time, whether it be house cleaning or maybe just some marketing for their new CD or whatever the case may be. You know, um, I've been able to get fabulous lessons with amazing legendary fiddlers and, and, um, you know, I've been able to attend fiddle competitions. I took place, I took part in my first fiddle competition last year and I wasn't even prepared for it. I just hitched hike up there from, um, 
Maple Maple Ridge, Saskatchewan, up to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And I arrived the day before and they're like, oh, there's going to be a fiddle competition. I was like, oh, OK, I'll do it. <laughs> so I had to learn these fiddle tunes really fast and play in this fiddle competition. And I won fifty dollars. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> so, you know, and now you can afford to dr- uh, bike across the country. Canada, the rest of the Canada was set. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, I had a quick question about the fitness side because you mentioned like being in less than ideal shape when you started and that maybe, well, it didn't sound like you were too concerned. How difficult was that? Were you finding yourself like far as injuries? Was there like more risk there or like how, how did you handle it physically and, and what did the trip do on in that regard? Um, well, I'll, I'll kind of name some some pros and, and some cons. So the pros were that I definitely became more in shape. I did lose a little bit of weight, but because cycle touring is not a sustainable lifestyle, whenever I'd stop somewhere for more than a, a few weeks, I'd gain it all back because, you know, I wasn't cycling as much. So so if you're if you're getting into long distance cycling because you think it's going to help you to lose weight and keep it off at least that's probably a little bit unrealistic because once you stop or go back to whatever your routine life is, you're not going to be able to sustain 12 hour day exercise like you did on your cycle tour. So, um, but you definitely get stronger. My legs became shapely and I was able to scale mountains and, and, uh, go up steep passes without having to get off and and walk my bike. Um, Some of the key issues that I had as a larger person on a bicycle was I did experience knee pain. um, And then I just had to adjust my bike and that kind of went away for a while. Um, This recent trip, I started to experience elbow and back pain. And that was a direct result of being a larger person on a bicycle, you know, because I'm putting all of my weight into my arms and on my back while I'm on this upright bicycle for 12 hours a day. So feeling all of my weight already in a position that is slightly uncomfortable is, um, is what caused, you know, some of the elbow pains that I had and it actually started to affect my violin playing. So, um, I switched, (laughs) I am now not on an upright bicycle anymore. I'm on a recumbent trike and a recumbent trike is basically um, a, a bicycle. So you're still pedaling, but you're now on three wheels and you're lying back. So you're all of the pressure on your upper body is off and you, all of the energy that you need is going into your legs, into the pedals. So it's a way more efficient way of riding. And I just got that, um, thanks to ice trikes. Um, so I have an ice adventure HD and the new adventure will be on my ice adventure HD. And, um, but yeah, so that's some of the challenge that I had as a larger person, you know, for example, I had a 10 hour riding day in the mountains in, in British Columbia on highway three. And, um, because I have a larger upper body, I mean, the pain in my back was just excruciating and people, you know, I think people of, of a smaller size also experience pain and aches. We all do. But, you know, when you're carrying a a larger amount of weight, you're going to experience more. So, so, so I did have my struggles because of weight and things like that, but not to the point where I ever had to quit or ever thought of quitting. You know, I mean, I had wonderful, comfortable days as well. So for anyone listening who has some views about, okay, I can go on a long distance tour and lose all of my weight. Yeah, you could, but if you're not doing it in a sustainable way, you're probably just going to gain it back once you get back to routine life. (laughs) Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee 
every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. You've done a lot of other trips since then. I mean, it sounds like you're you're now a fearless traveler. So you're like, hey, I'm going to go hitchhike here. I'm going to ride my bike from Indianapolis to Austin and hitchhike back up to Canada. Like what's, or maybe previously there are some concerns and I know I get emails from listeners that are concerned as being like single female listeners that are traveling solo. What's your advice there? I mean, how has the hitchhiking been for you and, and kind of continuing these types of adventures around America? Oh, yeah. So I think there's a smart way to hitchhike. And then there's a, a, a more risque, I'm not going to say not smart, but a risque way of of, uh, of hitchhiking. And I try to do it in the, the, the way that is not risky. So, um, I don't stand on the side of the road and put my thumb out. I don't hitchhike in that way. I usually go to a gas station or a church or someplace that I feel as a safe center or a public place where people see me getting into a car with a stranger. Um, and, and then that's how I do it. And I normally do it during the, I don't, I, well, I shouldn't even say normally, I never do it at night. I always do it during the day with people around and I'm not shy at all about taking a picture or getting a picture of a license plate and sending it to my family and letting the person that I'm getting into the car with know that. And I think, what do you, you say? Know, like, how do you, what is your approach? And like, if you're in a parking lot, cause I've, I've done it this way too, but I'm curious how you, how you approach people. If you could give anybody advice on how to go about traveling in this way. Oh yeah, for sure. I just, you know, I just start with who I am, my name. And I say, you know, Hey, I'm Jasmine and I have my dog over there on my bike and everything. And I'm trying to get from so-and-so to so-and-so in order to continue my bicycle tour. Usually if I'm getting a ride, it's because I've had a problem. Like my 
tire has, you know, I don't have any replacement tubes at this point or whatever the case. So it's a little bit easier to approach people when you actually have a problem and, and say, oh my goodness, I need help getting 50 miles down the road in order to get to this bicycle shop to get my bicycle repaired or something like that. But, um, but if I am just getting a ride simply because I need to get to a destination in order to cycle somewhere or to do something, um, I'll just say, you know, I'm trying to do this trip. I'm going from Canada. I'm going, you know, I'm bicycling across Canada and it would really, you know, help if I can get to this location. Do you know anyone who would be willing to give me a ride or would you be willing to do that? I noticed you got out of a pickup truck and that would really fit all of my stuff. And then, you know, I, I try to tell people, you know, I don't like to do things for free. So if I have a few bucks on me, I'll say, oh, I can give you some gas money. But most people have been super nice and say, oh, no, you don't need to give gas money. It's only 50 or 60 miles down the road. And I was going that way anyway. So, you know, um, so people have been super nice about that. But I just talk to them. Matter of fact, you know, I let them know that I am coming to them and what, what I'm doing, who I am, what I'm doing. I let them know that I have a Facebook profile and I'm not a, a horrible person. They can check me out on Facebook if they have their cell phone, blah, blah, blah. And I would love to check them out too. And then I tell them, you know, of course I do have a mom and she's worried about me doing things like this. So is it okay if I <laughs> take a little picture <laughs> of you? And I, usually I get little selfies and, I, and I'll put on my Facebook, this person was so kind to me because they, they got me from so-and-so to so-and-so. And that picture works as not just a, hmm. as a shout out to that person for being kind, but also yeah. an identifier. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, so. that's a really great idea. I haven't heard anybody using that. Like, kind of, I like the how you sort of frame it where it's, I mean, you are, you're giving them a shout out and they are doing something kind for you, but you're also, there's a little layer of protection there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was wondering, like, you're just like, hey, I'm going to take a picture of your license plate really quick. I was wondering how you asked about that, but, um, but I like, you know, you do have a mom that's concerned about you and like you're being authentic about it and you're also being safe. So that's great. Yeah, I think it's good to just be upfront and honest with people. And they appreciate that a lot more than trying to be sneaky and take, you know, I, I'm not the type of person that waits for the person to go into the gas station and then take a quick picture of their their license plate. I, I just I'm just upfront about them because or with them because they probably have children or they probably have someone that cares about them, too. And so they 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 can empathize with with the idea of someone worrying about them at home, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a couple more things. Cause I'm, I'm so curious about your travels that I keep asking you questions. I know that, but, <laughs> um, fine. you've, you've been really close to America really in, in so many ways. I mean, cause you've been all over, you've been on the ground and I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the media. It always is that way. I mean, do you think some of the media portrayal is like, how much do you think that reflects reality? And, and in terms of like race, you mentioned being an African-American woman traveling alone. Did you experience any any issues there? Or like, uh, what's what's the vibe going on on the ground in America, like from your perspective? Well, um, let's see. I would say that, first of all, th there's an unrealistic view of the world and then there's a realistic view of the world. And I think we all ha start out with an unrealistic view of the world based on the media because the media only gives us the bad, right? So, so when we see all of these bad things happening in the world on the media, um, or on the news, then, then that's how we tend to, to blanket the world. We tend to think, oh, the world is just bad then. And there's just bad people, even though we have good people in our lives and we ourselves are good people. We start to think of everyone as, as a potential enemy, as a potential scary person. And if the news in particular has a particular agenda against a certain group of people, then we start to think of a certain group of people as, as being an enemy or, or being bad or things like that. So I definitely think that 
when we rely on the media for our sense of what the world is like, it's completely false. And this idea of stranger danger and strangers and you're going to be harmed by strangers is not as bad. And, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't bad people in the world, but it's definitely not as bad as, as what we get from movies and entertainment and the news and things like that. So that's number one. Number two is when you get out there, yes, I think I noticed this year or not this year, but 2016 in particular, a lot more division than I did in 2013. And that was just because of the political atmosphere. I don't think there was an election going on in 2013. So I don't know how how it would have been in 2011 or 2012 if I had departed then on the road. (laughs) But uh, definitely departing in an election year last year, um, you noticed different people supporting different candidates and, and these different ideas. But even amidst all of that, I didn't have any difference in in how I was treated on the road, whether someone was a Hillary supporter or a Trump supporter, or they were in between, or they were supporting someone else, Bernie Sanders, everyone extended the same type of hospitality to me. I never noticed I was black in 2013. This time I did notice I was black, but for a different reason. Um, you know, people were talking about it more. They were talking about, oh, okay, you know, we have a candidate in office who or both on both sides, not just Trump, but and not just Hillary, but both of those candidates were talking more about racial divide. And, and uh, we also had Black Lives Matter happening at that time. So people were more apt to ask me questions. Like, when I would stay with the host, someone would say, Jasmine, are you how what are what are you going through on the road? And, you know, have you had any problems with police? Or have you had any problems with people in general? You know, so I think because of the political climate of 2016, People were making, were looking at me a little bit differently and saying, Jasmine, have you had any bad experiences on the road? But as far as actual bad experiences, at least in the U.S., no. (laughs) And uh, in Canada, though, surprisingly, um, because Canada is a gorgeous country with really friendly people. But I I didn't expect to experience racism in Canada. And that's that's one another thing of of. um, that stereo, the stereotypes that we have, whether they're positive or negative, they're so misleading about what the world really, what the world really is. Because for me in Canada, you know, or what I would think is if I was going to experience any racial discrimination, I would have thought it was going to be in the South, in the United States. And, um, and I didn't experience any racism in the, in the South of the United States. People were hospitable. There were people stopping in their cars and giving us bottles of water and things like that. In Canada, I it was my first time hearing someone openly use the N-word towards while I was there, not towards me, but just while I was in the same vicinity using the N-word. And I thought to myself, wow, in Canada, <laughs> you know? And then and then um and then there was also an incident where I was refused service some somewhere. I'm not gonna say yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that that's happening in Canada. So, so I think there's, there's a double kind of, uh, there's, there's a way that you have to view the world. And the one thing is that you, you, first of all, you can't have expectations. (laughs) You can't think that one place is going to be safer than somewhere else 
for one thing. And you can't think that one place is going to be dangerous, more dangerous than another place. You know, every place has something to offer. Every place has its issues. Every place has bad and good people. And, and you have to be vigilant and, and smart wherever you go in the world. And, and so you can't have these, these um, stereotypical type of expectations about any place you go to. And, but other than those, those two instances in Canada, um, I, I haven't experienced any, you know, anything racially, uh, you know, that was directly towards me, except for the being refused service at that one business. Um, but other than that, you know, it's been, it's been wonderful. And even, even amidst experiencing these different of ideas and these, these intense emotions from people about, you know, um, Trump or Hillary and things like that, even with all of that, people were just so kind I really love that you have combined these two passions of travel and your violin playing because you play a gorgeous violin. I've been watching some of your videos and listening to you play. And uh, I just think it's so cool. One of the things that I really liked about the work that you're doing in relation to, you know, how you're sharing what you're doing in terms of your travels and everything is that you're incorporating your violin, which is something you're very passionate about. And I just love when people are just like, you know, unabashedly just like, Hey, I love these things. Like, man, I'm going to, I'm passion mashing here. I'm going to put these things together and it's just going to like, Hey, you've never seen a violin like this in a travel video. I'm just going to throw it in here because this is what I do. And, uh, and it's a beautiful thing. So, um, I just wanted to give you props for that. Cause I thought that was really cool. And, and, you know, if you have anything that I can share, uh, when we, when we finish up this interview, maybe I could play a little snippet of your music. Do you have anything like that? I actually do. I'm sorry. I actually do. Uh, so remember Zen Ben, the guy that I, I, I uh, stereotyped in a wrong fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he plays a guitar. And so we ended up playing um, a, a piece together called Pink Eye Lament. And I recorded it on YouTube. So I'll send that to you. <laughs> okay, that would be great. Well, we'll, we'll play out with Pink Eye Lament at the end of this interview. And um, I wanted to ask you what was next because you have another adventure planned soon, right? Yes, um, I am. So like I said, I'm on a trike now, a recumbent trike, and I am headed to Asia. Uh, I'll start in South Korea. And um, so the thing about going overseas with the dog is I have to uh, kind of avoid countries that have either extensive quarantines or breed bans. And Fiji represents um, the American Staffordshire Terrier or the pit bull. And so unfortunately, there are lots of not lots, but enough countries to kind of distort our route a little bit that ban, uh, ban pit bulls. And so, um, so I can't go to every country in Asia and I can't go to every country in Europe or, or Africa and things like that. But I've designed my route to, to kind of avoid those countries. And, um, so because of that, we are actually going to be doing something that I never knew I would be doing, which is bicycling across Russia. (laughs) Are you bicycling around the world? Is this yes. the, all the way around the world? Yes, yes. So wow. we're uh, now now that I'm more comfortable and I'm not experiencing much pain. You know, I think also some of the times that I hitchhiked was because I was just in major pain. So uh, now that I'm on a trike, it'll actually be pedaling, you know, around the world without having to to get a ride because I'm I'm in pain. So yeah, we're going to go to South Korea and then I'll be taking a ferry to Vladivostok, Russia. And uh, and starting the southern route of Russia to Europe. When are you starting the trip and how long are you planning to go? 
it'll start in September. Um, I will be officially healed by then. I was, my elbows were, so that's were like just, two months from around the time. Yeah, it'll be in September. Yep. So, yep, I'll be officially healed by then and I can get back on the road and it'll take, uh, it'll take quite a while because I am mixing violin with everything and stopping and learning from people. So it'll probably be another six years. <laughs> <laughs> so you're planning on being out on the road basically for the next six years. I mean, you, are you going to, come back? Or are you just going to be working along the way, kind of figuring it out as you go the same way you've yep. been? You know, <laughs> I'm along? figuring it out as I go. I yep. mean, the only thing that I'm pretty much concerned with or pre-planning for is making sure that, you know, Fiji doesn't get quarantined in any type of, of place. But other than that, I'm not really making any route plans or sticking to anything. And I, I mean, the six years is really just a ballpark. It could be yeah. shorter or it could be longer, you know? So and this is a one-way <laughs> ticket situation, right? Yeah. One-way ticket situation, unless it's not allowed by a particular country. Some countries don't right. allow right. that. So uh, yeah, but yeah, pretty much a one-way ticket because I'm, you know, I'm going to be going from border to border. So until which time I get to wherever I need to get to. Any resources you can share on travel with dogs in this manner? Because uh, I know this is a question I get a lot. And I always mention, um, like I've met other, I've talked to other bike tours who've brought their dog or their cat, or like, it seems like a great way to do it. But you still, like you said, have to pick the certain countries it's allowed. Um, Do you have any like sort of master website resources that people can go to start beginning their research? Because I know this is, this could be a deep topic. So we don't want to do a whole podcast on it. But if you could just, yeah, share a couple things that would be helpful. Um, yeah, for for international travel, I would start with PetTravel.com. They're a fabulous resource um, because they've uh, you know accumulated all of the the um, requirements for each country in one place. Of course, they keep their site updated, but always double check with the actual embassy and the USDA for additional rules. But pet travel is pretty, pretty good in, uh, at staying on top of what the requirements are for each country. And you can just go da- down their little list of which country you want to go to, click on the country, and they'll have a whole list there of what you need to get into that country for, with okay. your dog or awesome. cat. Awesome. What is one thing right now that you are totally sure of? One thing right now that, that I'm leaving in September. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's right. And uh, one last question. Why does travel matter? It be, oh my goodness, that's that's a loaded question, but I think the simple answer to that is because you need to know that there is more than just you out there. You need to know that that our earth exists and that there are problems and and positives. There are negatives and positives that directly relate to everyone in a, in a bigger picture fashion than just your small world. And you can't escape from that by thinking you can live inside this small bubble or this small box. You need to know that there's a bigger picture and that there are people and, and good things as well as bad things out there that you are part of, that you can be a change or a force and at least being knowledgeable about it. Um, so I think that's important for everyone to know. Jasmine, you are so inspiring. I am honored that you shared this time with me and like gave me this time to hear your story. It, I loved having this conversation with you. I had a blast. <laughs> um, Jasmine's website is fijapaw.com. Uh, it's F-I-J-A-P-A-W.com. And um, is there anywhere else that people should go to find you? Is that sort of the hub where they can get all your socials and everything like that? Exactly. Yep. All of my social media is on the website and everything. So if you want to find me on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or wherever, it's all on the website. (laughs) 
thank you so so very much i wish you nothing but the best of luck and uh, on your further adventures which sounds like it's going to be a crazy trip with a lot more stories to share so i'd love if we can stay in touch and have you back on the podcast at some point and get an update f- from the road at some point thank you i would love that i would love that <laughs> awesome <laughs> thanks so much for your time we'll chat soon okay <laughs> cheers cheers There you go. Wow, right? Wow. Jasmine's story blew me away, and I am just so grateful and honored that she took the time to share it in such an honest way here. Thank you so much. And I want to say thank you, my friend, for taking the time to listen to this show. Going back to the top of the show and along the lines of what we discussed throughout this interview... Remember Kara, who I gave a shout out to at the top of the show, said she was giving herself the gift of adventure. And I could say that in many ways, Jasmine has done the same thing. And it really is a gift. Travel is a gift. We are so lucky and fortunate that we have the ability to do it. And if you can give yourself the gift of adventure, it is truly the gift that keeps on giving because you never know when you step out that door how travel is going to change your life in more ways than you could ever possibly imagine. So whether it's your first trip or your next trip, give yourself that gift of adventure. Go out and be that change. Thank you so much for being a part of this listening community. If you ever want to get in touch, drop me a line, jason at zerototravel.com. And if you haven't done so yet, Now's the time. Sign up over at zerototravel.com. I've got so much stuff coming through the newsletter and continuing to stay in touch off the podcast is a beautiful thing and I love when people take the time to sign up. I do things like online Q&As and free workshops where we can actually connect online. I've got uh, newsletters with travel jobs I am sharing and compiling right now. I've got plenty of other content that goes onto the website that you don't get on the podcast. So if you dig the podcast, if you like what I'm doing here, you want to stay in touch further, sign up right now. Don't delay. Hit pause. Zero to travel.com. Just sign up right there on the homepage. We'll keep in touch. And I look forward to that. My friend, this concludes another show. The gift of adventure. I love that. Give it to yourself. If not now, then when? Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. If you've made it here, you've discovered a Zero to Travel bonus track. It's a secret track. I am here with Jasmine. And when we got off the call, we were talking about something that uh, that I think was an important topic to cover. So we decided to sneak in this bonus track. Jasmine, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you. It's been forever. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so yeah, you were just talking about the lifestyle. We actually talked about it a little bit 
before the interview and after, and we just started kind of having a conversation around that this this is not a vacation. This is more of just a way of life now. And I just want to get your thoughts on that because as travelers, people that listen to the show, I know that's a big consideration for some people. Like not everybody wants to be nomadic and like kind of do this full time, but there are people out there that, you know, they they love it so much and they want to make this their lifestyle, but that doesn't mean it's it's a vacation lifestyle. So I just want to hear your thoughts around that and where you are in your life when it comes to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's all types of travelers and um, some people do do it for vacation and they save up their money and they, they go and stay in luxury hotels and things like that. And there's nothing, I mean, I would love to stay in a luxury hotel every once in a while. Uh, so there's nothing against that what's, whatsoever. Um, but I think what people tend to do is they tend to group all travelers together as being vacationers. And that's just not the reality. Some people are doing it for larger reasons. For example, myself, because I felt like I had lost something. And there's people out there who take these spirit journeys or these nomadic journeys because they feel that they've lost something. I met a man who had brain cancer and he thought he was going to die. So he left out on a bicycle and and uh, and that was his changing journey for whatever time he had left on his on this earth. So, so to group people as vacationers when there's so much more going on behind the picture and travel means so many different things to different people is, is kind of doing a, uh, you know, it's not, it's not doing any good for, for the, for the industry, but also for the lifestyle. And, and for me, it has become a lifestyle. I'm still, I'm still living. I still have to pay bills. I still have to take care of myself eat and and I don't get to stay in luxury hotels and I don't get to to go see museums and sightseeing. I'm not doing that I'm when I'm on the road. I'm just going from one place to the other but still living a life that is full of the normal things that life is full of, struggle plus happiness plus sadness plus depression, you know. So this idea that I'm on a constant vacation is just not true, you know. It's 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 just me living my life, but in a more mobile way. Yeah, you're you're living your life. You're just choosing to live it on the road, which brings a different uh, life experience and a different daily life, really. Um, and one that I can certainly identify with. You know, having spent so many years on the road, just like it can be addictive in the way. Just knowing, hey, I don't really know. Knowing you don't know what's going to happen that day. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? Like the not knowing makes it a bit of. Uh, well, it definitely makes it exciting. I think some of the things we love about travelers, but it, it's it's interesting to hear that this is a lifestyle choice for you, and this is just how you're living your life. And I mean, in that way, is it even travel anymore, or is it just your life? You know, I it's, mean, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. I don't think it's travel. I think I've just turned the full earth into my home. It is now all a house to me and I can go at least wherever there are borders that I'm welcome into, (laughs) you know, I can go where, where I want to go and I can mesh with people and learn about people and be comfortable and adapt and, and make that my home for whatever time that is, even if it's only a day. And, and that's, and that's okay. That's the life that I've chosen and I love it. And, and I am happy, you know, you can't, discount someone's life because it doesn't match yours. You know, prior to this, I was sad most of the time with moments of happiness, but now I'm happy most of the time with moments of sadness. So I think we should live our lives that way. There's, of course, there's no foolproof way of never being sad or never struggling or never um, having moments of depression, but there is a way that we can live a life that is 
happiness most of the time and then just moments of those negative feelings. So even in, in, in crazy situations, you know, I've met people who live in war, war zones and they're, they're able to live life in a way that we can't fathom because we, we have never been in that situation, but they they have this resilience about them that, that they're able to live their lives and still have this to capture these moments of, of happiness and make that the, the focus as opposed to all this negative around them. So, so I think, um, you know, I, I've tried to do that with, with living a mobile life. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on that, Jasmine, for coming back here on the Zero to Travel bonus track. Have a wonderful day and hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Best wishes. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>